everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podsite, everyone. This is, of course, Carlo, and today we have two, not one, but two special guests. Uh, returning champ, none other than Maddie Lewis. Hello, Maddie. Hey, Carlo. How's it going? Um, it's going well. And uh, also returning, uh, Stephen Mazur. Uh, how you doing, Stephen? Here on the free airwaves. It's uh, It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Breathe the free air, sir. <laughs> I'm very happy to be here. Okay, excellent. And um, we're going to be discussing uh, a, a, a a new name for Podside, uh, M. Rickert. Um, and we're going to be discussing her novella. Uh, I believe this came out in 2003 in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction uh, called The Chambered Fruit. And, uh, this, um, honestly, I, I, one thing I do want to point out right off the bat, I love this title in part because it can be read both ways. Uh, so, so this is, um, just, just to give everyone who has not read this ever, uh, this is a story that is a, I, I almost hesitate to call it like a retelling, but it is that of, uh, the, the Persephone myth, right? Um, that's correct. Or, or, and and so you know if you know your your myth your your mythology your mythology why why am I giving that the weird accent your <laughs> mythology um you know you do know that uh you know she she ate from a pomegranate which could be a chambered fruit but I'll also I just love that it's also reminiscent or or, or evocative of the heart itself right Oh, um, that's what you meant by both ways. I actually wrote that down to ask you because I, I only, I only knew the pomegranate uh, mm. association. I didn't know what else you were uh, referring to. Well, I mean, given the fact that part of this is, you know, uh, a lot about uh, loss, but also love, and loving those who loving yourself enough to to sort of let go and and move on. If you can, I, I just, I thought of it that way. I don't know. No, I, Maybe, I like that. I like that yeah. a lot. Um, so it's reminding uh, me of the, uh, the, the infamous Twitter tag your gore slash pomegranates, um, <laughs> screed. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> there was an image that someone posted on, 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 oh no, Twitter was Tumblr actually. What was, uh, of, of a, of a pomegranate. And someone was like really upset about this because it looks gory. Um, and it's like it's a fruit, but yeah, like it, I don't know the the because uh, I also was like okay, yeah, heart slash pomegranate that makes sense. But it, it mm -hmm. reminded me of that 
that infamous Tumblr screen. And I don't know, maybe I'm showing my age here. I was on Tumblr in college. <laughs> mm, so it's all right. I'm not, uh, yeah, I don't judge. Uh, you know, like I was back way back in the, the, the age of MySpace. I remember like getting invi- invited to Gmail. You remember that shit? <laughs> Uh, which, which, uh, it, this sounds like a, a slight derailment, but honestly, um, the 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 internet features here as sort of a a very, um, I guess, uh, sort of a sinister force. Uh, so, d- do we want to just summarize a little bit? Because I mean, this is pretty straightforward. I mean, it, it's. Uh, shit, you know, I forgot, um, what is, does anyone remember what the main character's name is? Oh, it's Chloe. Chloe. I I looked it up. It's referenced a couple of times later on, but yeah, it's, you can easily miss it. Yep. Yep. Well, I mean, and also it's like one of these things that, you know, like it's, it's told mostly in first person. Uh, yeah. Like I don't go around going like, well, Carlo, (laughs) As I was, as Carlo was thinking, <laughs> uh, I mean, unless you're a Seinfeld character, you don't really go around talking to yourself, talking about yourself in the third person. Um, but yeah, so Chloe, uh, you know, basically she and her husband um, and her daughter live, I'm going to guess this is somewhere in, I, I got real sort of like, uh, uh, New England vibes, but it yeah, could be. Yeah, I was gonna say, I was like, this seems like like some sort of hippie New England type of type of town, <laughs> up in Vermont, yeah, <laughs> you know, or something like that. Yeah, uh, maybe upstate New York, but mm-hmm. it it could be anywhere. But uh, I I tend to agree with you guys. Yeah, I mean, uh, other than like the, the the deep south or Florida, because you know well. they, they actually get snow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, not not that. You know, they don't, but... It has to be somewhere that has a real winter. Yes, yes, like actual seasons. Um, It could also be, uh, you know, like just going off of uh, the the few things that I've read about... uh, about the author, she has lived, uh, as you said, uh, Stephen, in in upstate New York, uh, Wisconsin as well, uh, and I forget where else. But anyway, um, so essentially the their daughter uh Steph or Stephanie um basically convinces them to get her a computer and they install it and I I, I did love the detail that uh it's 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 like me it's like this is very much beginning of the internet uh as we know it now uh type of thing where th- someone came in to install it in her room uh, I just found that very funny. Um, yeah, I, I did. I, I like just bought like a new desktop last year, and I was like, I don't remember. Uh, I was like, damn, you used to have to actually like hire someone to do that. I just did it myself in like ten minutes. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's the thing, right? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, unless you're like completely like you, you want to spend you money. You don't on, know like, what somebody, you're doing. Like, yeah, like the Geek Squad or something. Um, but so uh, basically, she starts chatting online with a friend of hers, um, who she calls Celia, and uh, you know she agrees to basically sleep over. Has like a big hissy fit with her mom, with Chloe, and eventually they they relent, and it turns out that um, you know. The, 
after like Chloe's very reticent because she's like, um, you know, you, you don't know anybody who, who you could be anybody on, you know, how do you even know that, you know, her name is her real name is Celia or whatever. So, you know, they, they basically talk to, uh, Celia's father, um, on the phone and he agrees to come by, pick her up and, and he's, you know, passing through anyway. So it's fine. He'll come pick her up and drop her off like, uh, the, the next evening or, or after the weekend or whatever. And, uh, that's where things get bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, they tell you and she, she, she tells you in the second paragraph that, you know, something terrible happened. So it's, it's not a surprise, but <laughs> it, uh, it is heartrending. Oof, man. I'm telling you that, that like the minute I think she, she goes into, what is it? Uh, uh, I'm trying to find the part here. See, this is the, 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 the difference between like an, an e-reader versus an actual book. Uh, <laughs> It's a pain in the ass to find stuff. But anyway, um, yeah, so so basically they they realize that she hasn't called yet to to you know like check in. They call the number, they call it over and over again. No one answers. Yeah, like Chloe's convinced that she, you know something's wrong, something's wrong. Yeah, uh, and her husband. husband keeps trying to be just like, oh, they probably just went out to dinner, they probably just went to a movie, whatever. Um yeah, and they didn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and even you know, even though you know from paragraph two that that her daughter is dead, just uh, uh, it's it's so effective and um, and and so uh, uh, I don't know uh, affecting just the way that this part of the story that you're talking about, Carlo, where you know Chloe feels like something's wrong, and then just very quickly, but like in in rapid succession, it's like chloe and her husband jack like they both start realizing like all these things that we thought that we knew were just things that we assumed and you know like you know we don't even know his name you know we we don't know where chloe lives we don't have an address all we have is this phone number and and then like you said you know like finally somebody answers the phone and it, it turns out it was it was just a stranger who picked up uh, you know the ringing payphone because yeah. that's that's what the the number mm -hmm. goes to. It just goes to some payphone, and it uh, you, you know your your stomach drops out the the same way that the the characters do. Yeah, mm -hmm. and the thing. So, and after this, she kind of talks about how like her husband went on this talk show, and they're just like, well, and the the parents are just like, well, I would never do that, and all the like this just like kind of. And part of you is like, I want to judge too. I'm like, you didn't get the guy's address. You didn't like, like when, and when, when the man comes to pick up Stephanie, the daughter Celia is not with him. Like to me, mm -hmm. that would be the first like major red flag. It's like, why is, why, like, especially for, you know, someone you've really only talked to over the internet. Um, yeah. So it's it's kind of like you feel like horrible because this is something that should just like never happen to someone, but also you're like, you guys fucked up a lot. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I I I am sympathetic because like, um, you know, like what is it? Uh, I'm looking at it right now. The the part that really s jumps out at me is is not he's not wrong. Like he, he says, um, 
you know, when he's being sort of like put on the spot, uh, you know, and, and the, the, even though the, um, the, the, the hosts of the show sort of try to look like they're sympathetic to his side, they let the, the, the lady who's sort of taking that accusing tone, you know, continue her question and whatnot. And, um, it says here, Jack tries to say the stuff about how really everyone takes chances when they send their children off to other homes. I mean, we're all really strangers, he says, but they aren't buying it, this clever audience. The sensible lady stands up again and says, I'm really sorry about what happened to your daughter, but you got to accept that it's at least partly your fault. There is scattered applause. The host tries to take it back. I'm sure no one here means to imply this is your fault, he says. We only want to learn from your mistakes. The audience applauds at that as well. Everyone gets applause except Jack. Yeah, it's it's bad. It, it's like, oh, it's like, do you need to rub it in? Like, it's really fucking cruel. It's hard to read. Um, the husband really sucks. Um, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I... I, I, I yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say. He he is, you know, like he's present at that moment and then not long after that. So, uh, so yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the the strain caused by the daughter's death kind of just separates them. Basically, they can't really be together anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so I mean, it, it's it's just brutal uh, because, like, I do feel like this is something that uh, you know, another writer would have like glossed over or not really sort of dug into it, right? Um, you know, to to a certain extent, like you you got to wonder, you know, like Jack does suck, but also he's he's the one that that insisted like he, he almost feels like he has a guilty conscience because he's the one that, that needs to go on the show. And, you know, Chloe's like, nah, I'm not going to do that. I don't need that. I mean, at least she, she seems to be more savvy about like how this is going to play out. I feel bad for the guy. (laughs) I mean, yeah, he's, I, I don't know that. I mean, I, 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 like, I feel like if you don't feel bad for the guy, like you're heartless, but at the same time, like he does suck. <laughs> he does suck. But I mean, I think he also sucks in a way that you can un- fully understand. And, and like, I could see, you know, like you, you made a mistake and it cost you like everything. Yeah. It reminded me, um, the bit with the dad, have either of you read the Nathan Ballingard short story, Monsters of Heaven? Yes, another very difficult uh, yeah, story to that's read. Oh difficult my God. one, especially I imagine if you have children. But that it kind of starts with like a, a fairly similar inciting incident. It's uh, a father and his son um, have gone to the park, and the dad is tired and like shuts his eyes, rests his eyes for just a couple of minutes, and in that time, his son vanishes, and it's like. On the one hand, it's like, man, you got to, like, keep a closer eye on your kids. But on the other hand, it is something it's like, it could happen. Or like, mm-hmm. oh, there was this article. I don't remember who wrote it, but I think it was nominated for some awards. And I it was like a train wreck to read where it was talking about people who, like, to- totally not intentionally, but, like, accidentally, like, leave their small children in their cars. I think um, I might have started reading that article and uh, yeah, I had to I, stop. I, 
Yeah, it was really hard. Like, I don't know what compelled me to keep reading it. I imagine if I actually had children, I would have probably made it like two paragraphs and stopped. But mm. um, it was because it is like one of those things. It's like, yeah, it's, it's a bad mistake, but it can happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it uh, it does not <clears throat> like as as far as the story goes. I don't know. I I just. I mean, obviously, it didn't happen. So, in a way, there's like there's nothing to judge because right. it's a piece of fiction. But also, I with these sorts of things when they happen, I I, I try not to be like the the people in the audience of the uh, of the talk show because you don't need to rub it in that person's already well, had about the worst thing that could happen to them happen to them like well yes but really i guess what i'm what i'm trying to say is just that you know we we act like that because you know we want to tell ourselves that you know oh not me i'm too smart for that i'm too yeah. vigilant but I, I'm, I'm we're, we're, all, we're all just one mistake or, or lapse in judgment away from from being the people who who say those things about us so yeah i mean it's 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 just it's very much a you know they're they're but for the grace of god go i type of situation right um where where like you know just because you're lucky doesn't mean that you're any better than than anybody else that that had some tragedy happen to them um, and I, I do think that this, this story like lingers on that just so that you understand exactly, you know, how, how awful it is. Right. Yeah. The, the first 12 pages or so of this story, at least in the, the edition that I was reading it in, um, her, uh, her collection, you, uh, you've never been here. The, the first 12 pages or so are, are just so brutal. They're, they're so difficult, but in such a, in such a, very beautiful and and artful and and true way uh i was reading and um i was reading through some interviews this week uh that rickard gave and uh in in one of them for this story she said uh oh where is it on my notes page uh but she said she wanted to write with, with this story she wanted to write a a horror story without the gore and I, I, th- I think she did it. Just yeah, honestly, yeah, un- unrelenting horror with no gore. This is more upsetting than most. Like, because they they don't they don't tell you like in any kind. They just like give you like one sentence about you know what happened to the daughter. It's not explicit. It's not gory. They don't linger on it. You just get like the one sentence, so you, you know what happened. You know that she was killed, um, and then that's it. You don't get more. Um, and I think honestly, that was probably a good impulse. Uh, because, you know, when you're talking about the murder and assault of a 12 year old, if you go into more detail than that, it can get really like lurid and like trashy really fast. Right, and, also she, lose some, and it loses some of its effectiveness because it's lurid and trashy. But right, since but she, she just kept it to uh, the one line the and it's all you need like you don't need you know don't need the detail to make this situation horrifying um Mm -hmm. but it's all about the like like erosion of this couple's marriage and just like the the spiraling of the main character's life because of this event and that is like 
it, they, you know, it's almost kind of brought up in the story later, like, you know, dead is dead, but the people who have to, like, go on, like, what does that mean for them? Yeah. Yeah. Right, but she doesn't, um, you're, you're absolutely right, but just the people don't think, like, it's not lurid, but she doesn't, like, allude to anything, you know, she just very matter-of-factly, like, just states what happened, and it in a very simple way and it's it's very powerful for that it's very effective yeah exactly because i mean this is you know this is uh, the the story's about the aftermath and not necessarily the the, the act, event you know the, right. the act itself um but yeah uh i mean yeah and, i think and, this uh Go ahead. This kind of remind me again of, of this remind me a lot of Nathan Ballingard, actually. It's like I feel like her writing is like, at least in this story, it reminds me of like if you took Kelly Link stylistically and Nathan Ballingard like thematically and like structurally and like mushed them up, you'd get something like that. But it reminds me a lot of how like a lot of Nathan Ballingard short stories will start where most stories would kind of end. And then yeah. go on after that. This one kind of does like the same thing because most like the the majority of the page count of it is aftermath, not like lead up. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, um, so so you know, like after Jack leaves, uh, like she, he leaves after she destroys. Basically, she takes like a, a bat to the computer in Steph's room, um, and you know, like he comments it that was an expensive machine. And she's like, yeah, fuck off. And he does, he leaves. Uh, and after that, like basically winter falls. Right. Um, I mean, that's an interesting, that's an interesting part of the, um, the Persephone retelling. Um, when, uh, when, uh, when Stephanie leaves with the, um, with, with the man, you know, Suddenly, the weather takes a turn for the worse, mm, and uh, and if 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 you notice as, as you read it, every time, uh, you know, once once she leaves, it, it just keeps getting colder and snowier, even though it, um, you know, it was unseasonal unseasonable for it. And any time in the in the back, uh, I guess two thirds of the story, when uh, when Chloe feels like a moment of, of reprieve and, and feels happiness, you know, uh, Rickert will will mention that like, you know, oh, the sun came out or it it, it got a little warmer. And, uh, you know, any time that, uh, you know, she takes a another downturn, it, it gets it just keeps getting colder and and, uh, and snowier and until uh, until Stephanie, uh, you know, brings back the spring, and uh, and, and Maddie, I'm uh, I'm glad that that you mentioned Kelly Link. I never really put together um, the similarities with with Nathan Ballingrud, uh, Ballingrud's writing, but but I, I agree with you on on that. They um, they both put a lot of uh, emotion in, into their stories, and they examine parts of stories and keep going in, in places where, um, you know, where other, uh, most other stories would have just stopped or wrapped up. But I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Kelly Link because one thing that I always, I always tell people about Mary Rickert's writing is that, you know, like, Hey, have you ever read Kelly Link? Well, if you like Kelly Link, you're going to love Mary Rickert because and I mean, I, I, I also like Kelly Link's writing. I've, I've got her, um, 
Magic for Beginners collection, and it's great, but... Yeah, I have heard you know, Stranger Things Happen collection, and it, it's excellent. Yeah, but I, I really think that, like, Mary Rickert's on, like, a, a whole other level. She's, like, kind of similar, but just better. I, I think she's a better writer who writes better, truer, more affecting stories. Like, it, if you like Kelly Link, you're going to love Mary Rickert. And if you love Kelly Link, you're going to really love Mary Rickert. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, let, let me, let me read a little bit about like after Jack leaves and, and this is so great because I, I think that this, uh, to, to your point, Stephen, not only does it reflect, um, Chloe's sort of, uh, like her, her mental state or, or her emotional state, but also, um, th- there's some great bits here where she is, uh, basically almost like, someone who is so depressed that they're like punishing themselves for, for still existing type of thing, you know? And, uh, so, so after Jack leaves, you know, we get fat white flakes fall all day. The pine trees are supplicant with snow. I sit in my rocking chair, like an old woman, the blue throw across my lap. I thought about starting a fire with the well-seasoned wood left over from last winter. But when I opened the stove and saw those ashes, I didn't have the energy to clean them out. I rock and watch the snow fall. The house creaks with emptiness. The phone rings. I don't answer it. I fall asleep in the chair, and when I wake, it's dark. I walk to the kitchen, turn on the outside light. It's still snowing. I turn off the light and go to bed, not bothering to change out of my sweats and turtleneck. The phone rings, and I grumble into the blankets, but I don't answer it. I sleep what has become my usual restless sleep. In the morning, it's still snowing. I mean, it's it just it, it's just lovely, but also it's like it shows you to me. It just shows you like her, like how she is perceiving things, and she's grown like she's grown cold, uh, as cold as the weather itself, right? She- yeah, and I think the the weather. I mean, it's it's an obvious you know, nod to the myth of De- uh, Demeter and Persephone, but I think she, Rickert kind of appropriates it in a little bit more interesting of a way where she does seem to directly tie it to uh, the narrator's kind of like mental state a little bit more. Um, but also that's like the, really the first part where you key in that this is, uh, other than maybe the title, that this is a a Persephone story because before that it's very grounded and that's kind of where the first like little hints of that, like, oh, this is maybe not like a perfectly like literal, realistic, real life story is, is the weather being like uniquely attuned to Chloe's mood. Um, the other things that I, I thought I thought that uh, so I, I've uh, on on record, I usually uh, the, the myth of Hades and Persephone is one of my favorites, but I usually hate retellings of it because they're usually very um, uh they're either very twee or they're very Raylo, uh, if you get my drift. Um, and I don't really like either of those things, especially. Um, I think this was a good a good choice, actually. I don't see as many retellings of this myth that focus on uh, the Demeter side. And I thought that was an interesting choice because usually you you get it from the perspective of, of Persephone. And it's either 
You know, it's either an uwu love story or like a dark romance, or sometimes it's just straight up like a like a kidnapping type of horror story. But I, I think mm-hmm. this was a more interesting choice. Um, and I liked the the nods that she had to the mythology were like much more subtle than a lot mm-hmm. of the times. Like with the names, like uh, like Steffi because she daughter's Stephanie Steph Steffi, and that like sounds kind of like Persephone, but not so much that it like bat you over the head with it. Mm-hmm. Right. And then they say at one point that the, uh, so the narrator's name is Chloe, but they say at one point that she, she's a painter and she goes by CR and then whatever the last name is. I, I don't right. remember and I can't find it real quick. And it's like, oh, it's like Sarah's. So it's the, the Roman name for Demeter. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. But like yes. this, it's like, I know that because like, I picked up on that because I'm a freak, but like a normal, like m- most readers probably if they get it, you know, it's like a nice little smile, but it's not batting you over the head with anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to to your point, I, I do agree that a lot of uh, retellings generally are very surface level or don't like, like we're talking about here. They don't really sort of cover their tracks. They, they want you to understand, huh? Eh, it's a retelling, eh? See, see, isn't that clever? And it's like, this is, I feel like this just... I feel like this uh, isn't a retelling so much as it takes the structure of the myth to tell an entirely different story. Mm-hmm. Or, or at least a, a version of that story that we don't usually get because it's focused on, you know, Hades and, and, and Persephone down in the underworld or whatever, which is which is a great story, but also like... The only we, person we never... who's done it correctly is Louise Gluck. Everyone else has fucked it up. Yeah. Well, it's you know it's it's a it's a re it is it, it's a retelling, but it's a retelling the the way that it should be because you know like we like we've been saying like on the one hand it's its complete own story where the uh, yeah. the allusions someone- to the myth there you know you can take them or you can leave them. And you can read it for itself as you can, you can read it as just like as a ghost story. But on the other hand, like the story is so completely, you know, the myth of Persephone and Demeter that like, you know, how could it be anything else? You know, it's, it's the story of, of a mother who loses her daughter. Like Mm -hmm. it is. And is revisited by her daughter, but only temporarily. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I, I liked that because I was like, I'm imagining someone who just like, somehow has never stumbled upon this myth, like they've never heard of it before, could still read this story and it could still be meaningful and it could still be totally comprehensible. But knowing the myth kind of adds, like, I I find a lot of retellings of myths and fairy tales, all they do is they take the plot and like transpose it into a different setting. Mm -hmm, Exactly. Yeah, like a bad Shakespeare adaptation. Yeah, Without and it, but it doesn't it doesn't actually uh, it doesn't really engage with like the th- the thematic weight of the story or the structure of the story or anything other than just like oh here's the plot um, I'm gonna do Hades and Persephone but what if uh, Persephone's mom owned a floral shop and Hades was a mob boss mm-hmm. like yeah <laughs> yeah exactly uh, or or even worse uh, Maddie like you know I, I've I've joked about it but you know like what if it's Snow White but instead of instead of it being like seven dwarves she lives with robots and it's like <laughs> shut the fuck up. 
like either either like I I think the 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 thing that strikes me so much about this story is that it, it's as if um as if she, you know Rickard had basically digested the entire story and there, there's no like there's little bits of it that you can recognize but like you said Maddie it's it's if you know what to look for, but, but also it's its own story. And it's one of these things that it doesn't fall apart without the scaffolding of the myth. Right. Right. And I think that that's the issue that I have with a lot of retellings since we're going to be on this, we're going to go off on this tangent for a little bit longer yet. Um, One of the things that I have an issue with retellings is the fact that the retellings feel like just sort of copy pasting, forward in time instead of really delving with like you said like the themes or you know why did this myth or why did this folklore have meaning to people then how can i then translate that not transpose translate that into what why is it important now and i feel like this really captures that right well, right, because, you know, like you said, most bad, most retellings are bad and most of them are bad because, you know, the writer just wants to use the the original myth as a, as a, as a crutch, really, mm-hmm. to just not yes. have to do. I don't want to have, have to think of my own plot. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. You know, they're just transposing it. You know, it's Hansel and Gretel in space. Or it's the Little Mermaid, but instead of her being a mermaid, you know, she's a career woman or something like that. But, you know, Mary Rickert here is like, you know, she's taking the 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 Persephone and the Demeter myth. And, you know, not only is it is it a look at like, you know, just just this horrible, just the horrible possibility of, you know, screwing up and and losing your kid and and knowing that like you know even though it's not your fault it's you know some other guy like totally did this it it is also kind of your fault because you're the ones who are responsible but but not only that but you know to just really take this this deep dive into into examining uh a mother's grief you know there's there's just a lot going on here there's Mm -hmm. just Rickert's stories are, you know, not only are they just beautifully written on a prose level, but they're they're just so emotionally true. And I, you know, it really just speaks to her level of, of craft and, and talent and ability that, you know, she can write these stories that were like all these, these terrible tragedies happen. Um, but, uh, she's not she's not really like writing from uh from real life in uh one of her other interviews you know I, the interviewer asked her that like you know like you know do you have any like not skeletons in your closet but like a deep dark past and she said no nothing terrible like that has ever happened to me my fiction is just fiction mm. Yeah. I mean, and, and so, uh, speaking to that, right. Uh, so, so not long after, like, she's, you know, just basically like, uh, justifiably wallowing in her grief. Uh, you know, the, the, the phone that I alluded to, she finally picks it up and, and 
somebody, you know, answers and she's like, Mom, where are you? <laughs> Actually, and, can uh, go ahead. Carlo, do you mind it? Because I had that I have that page open and I was mm -hmm. wondering if I could uh, read that paragraph or so. Go for it. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Just just to give the listeners a taste of of just just how great her prose is, just what a great writer she is. All right. So the phone is ringing. Hello? Mom, where are you? Steph? Steph? But there is no response. I stand there, holding the phone while the kitchen shadows lengthen around me. Still I stand there. I say her name over and over again. I don't know how long I stand there before I hang up, but when I do, I'm a changed woman. If I can't keep her alive, and it's been all too obvious that I can't, I'll take her dead. Yes, I want this ghost. Mm. Just, I yes, mean, I want this ghost. Man. Uh, uh, that, that's just so fantastic. And and I, I was queuing that up mainly because I wanted to get to the, like, there's two weird um, departures from the first person narration. Uh, and, and that's right when you finished is where it starts, like, you know, basically into a second person narration, which is just fantastic. I, it's just a bold thing to do, right? Because it says, the person you most love has died and is now trying to contact you. You are happy. You do whatever you can to help. You go out into the middle of the worst blizzard on record, since there has been a record, and drive to town. A trip that usually takes 10 minutes today takes an hour and a half, and you were happy. You go to the local drugstore and walk right past the aisle, stripped of batteries and sterno cans and candles to the toy section where you select a Ouija board and tarot cards. And you don't care when the clerk looks at you funny because you already have a strange reputation. And who even cares about a reputation when your dead daughter is trying to talk to you? What the fuck, man? Just amazing. Yeah, uh, I was struck by how good the second person, because there's like, I think there's two second person sections in here. Yeah, and here I, at, at the very end. I at believe. the very end. And I, uh, on record, I don't like second person, like probably a good 90% of the time. But I think this is probably some of the best second person that I've seen, especially especially because it managed to be second person that actually does kind of address the reader, as opposed to a lot of the times with second person, it'll be like, you have your first person narrator who's talking to another character. Mm -hmm. This one does actually seem to address you, the reader. But I think since her, her prose is so good, it pulls you in as like, and I think she almost needs to do this because with the kind of the situation of the story, it, it would be much easier to distance yourself to be like, oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done that. This would mm -hmm. never be me. But to actually be like, no, no, no. Think about what it would feel like if it was you, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think it's also um, like the, my read on it is that it also serves to sort of detail, you know, to you as a reader that the character sort of she stepped out of outside of herself. She, she's not, you know, she hasn't been necessarily rational, right? Um, <laughs> Up until that point. Yeah, it it reminds me a lot of how, like, 
and I'm about to do it right now, how when you're telling a story to someone, uh, and it might even be about something that happened to you, you still will tell it to them in second person because you're like, no, 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 I need you to think about how you would react to what mm-hmm. happened to me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, also, I, I think it's a moment of, of you know, uh, quite literally uh, in the Greek, uh, ecstasy, right? You're, you're outside of time. Yeah. You know, uh, ecstasis, right? You, you are just outside of the present moment and she's so happy. Like she's, she's almost literally beside herself, right? In this, in this moment. And it, it really conveys that well, right? I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe I'm off base, but it, that's how I, I sort of picked up on it. Because it, when it happens at the end, it's also at a moment of like this extreme joy or euphoria, right? Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I mean, it, it, this is it, right? Th- these are just uh, God. She's so good at at like really pulling at that emotion. Uh, you know, whereas I feel like other writers might sort of look away or feel sort of weirdly, uh, weirdly have some authorial embarrassment or, or demure, you know, weird demureness here. It's like super honest about stuff. Um, but anyway, yeah, uh, there's, I mean, I have a bunch of <laughs> quotes that I like highlighted. I, I, I don't know if we'll have time to get into them all, but, but honestly, they're so good. All of them. Um, you, so, you yeah. could do the whole story. That's, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, amazing. and then, yeah, and then, and then, uh, get, get, yeah, basically, you flip right. to like any given page, and if you just like were to just like kind of, you know, run your finger along the page with your eyes closed and stop, whatever line you stopped on would be good or great. There mm-hmm. are no bad lines in this entire story, not even some that are just like, you know, they get the job done. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and I mean, granted, there are some that really sort of jump out at me. Um, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, yeah, I guess past the, the three quarters. Well, uh, let, let's talk about Maggie because um, it, it, we, we don't know it yet. Uh, but the, the clerk that she mentions in the, in the, the section that I, that I was reading is in fact Maggie, who is a young girl about Steph's age. Uh, who she's a little older, le- I think. I think she's supposed to be like, because Steph was like 12, and I, I get the impression Maggie is probably like 16 or 17. Mm, fair enough, fair enough, yeah. Old enough to have a part-time job, anyhow. Yeah. yeah. Well, these days. <laughs> <laughs> God, that's dark. They Darker didn't say she worked story. at McDonald's, Carlo. Oh, damn. Well, you know. Um... <laughs> In any case, yeah. So, so, uh, so Maggie, uh, I didn't get the, the impression that Maggie was like a goth girl in the, like the, the outward appearance, uh, sort of look, but, but I was, I she is in was, spirit. Yeah, for sure. She, she's, <laughs> she wears the black on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, she's the one that approaches Chloe and it sort of develops like a, 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 a a tentative friendship with her uh basically because she says she tells her that um you know that, that Steph wants to come back that she you know she 
She essentially has been, she's like the kid from that movie who can see ghosts, which, you know, I, I love that she, <laughs> yeah, she's talking about the sixth sense, uh, obviously, but, but, you know, it, it's fine. I, I, it, she doesn't really name the movie or anything like that. Um, and in any case, uh, they, they, they start having a, a friendship, right? And, uh, and it, it's not until, uh, it's, it's far along enough that, uh, she's visited by Maggie's parents, Chloe is, uh, and that was, oh my God, that was such a painful, <laughs> another Whoa. painful scene. Yeah. Jesus Christ, man. And, and, and to be clear, like her parents sort of suck, but they suck in, again, in a way that is completely sort of mundane and perfectly understandable. Like, she, yeah, she's the reverend's daughter, and you know they they basically tell Chloe that uh, you know she's lying, she she can't do any of those things, she's mentally ill. Her mom tells her, and it's like Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, my I'm I'm not gonna lie. I would be lying if I said my bias wasn't coming out when it mentioned that you know she was the reverend's daughter. Mm -hmm. uh, at, I was like, oh, so they're just mad she's goth. <laughs> mm. Uh, well, I mean, but that's yeah. maybe me reading my personal experience into it a little bit. <laughs> well, and it's funny, right? Because they, you know, like, like it's something that you'd think that someone with religion would, would believe in, right? <laughs> that, that they believe in uh, the, the afterlife and that these things might happen. But no, <laughs> it's all very, uh, it, it felt in that sense, it felt very much like a very sort of Midwestern practicality to me. I don't know. Oh, very much. Yeah. But uh but yeah, like uh and after they they leave, basically they they tell her please don't don't talk to her anymore. And uh her, you know, like Chloe's one sort of connection to Steph and just the general world, like human connection in any way shape or form has been denied her and she just basically like after they leave they they you know, they take in some tea to talk, uh, all these uncomfortable, all this throughout this uncomfortable situation, uh, conversation, I should say. And she just hurls the teapot, the, the teacups, everything against the wall and just like, you know, just it breaks down. Um, yeah. And, and so, you know, Maggie shows up later to knock on the door and Chloe, you know, basically ignores uh, never opens the door and and waits until she leaves. You know, like it's 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 just very sort of painful to to read too. Um, but yeah, like so so one of the things. Uh, oh, what was it? Like not long after that, there's this line that that I had uh, highlighted, where it's you know how we suffer, we humans, pain and joy, but always pain again. How do we do this? Why? Some small part of me still waits for spring, just to be sure. I know it is absurd, but the rational knowing does not change the irrational hope. Uh, and, and to put that in context, uh, you know, Maggie had told her that Steph wanted to come back to see her, but she couldn't do it until, until spring. spring. Yeah. And like that, that line just, it, it, it it reminded me of that the 
of the line in 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 Le Guin's, uh, you know, those who walk away from Omelas, where she's talking about like, you know, uh, you know, that suffering is the only thing that makes things real and blah blah. blah. But here it, it just comes at it from the the opposite direction, right? It, it's talking about how there's lots of suffering. Like life is a series of you know smaller and larger sufferings, basically, and still you hope sometimes. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, the story actually ends on like a weirdly hopeful note. For oh, as yes, I mean, but it, but it's 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 one of those where it's like. The fact that it's hopeful makes it almost more crushing than if it had just been bleak, which is why whenever people, you know, will be like, oh, you know, I want I want hopeful, like charming stories. I'm like, no, you can't get like real hope without real bleakness. Mm -hmm. And I think that Rickert like understands that. And that's why the story is what it is. And that's why it's affecting. And the fact that so much like tragedy has preceded this point is what makes their like what even allows you to have any kind of catharsis in the the like just slightly well like what if like just just a little bit of hope at the end um and i i I wish uh more writers would take that lesson that uh hope feels much better when what precedes it really really sucks Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) well i mean i i think it's it's one of these things where um yeah, it's right there in that line, right? That even though you know, part of what makes sort of sparks that hope is in fact suffering, right? Because you 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 hope that it will end, and because you don't need perhaps, hope if you're not suffering, right? You just don't. Right. Then you just go. You're you're fine. You just go mm-hmm. on. Um, well, and and so so much of the story is, in fact, that sort of going on that that Chloe's doing without really being part of the world. You know, it, she's she's just for so for so much of this this story, she is just sort of in her like under her cloud, so to speak, right? Uh, and and outside of any any people that that live in this town she's she's completely alone so i mean but for her to hope you know she she it, it brings her out of that and and it makes her it makes her i i should say uh, sort of seek connection again and of course you know being the persephone myth she she does come back mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah yeah. I, yeah, I don't know uh, if we wanted to touch on that at all or or not. No, no, we could we could definitely talk talk about it. Um, hold up, let me let me because I do have some of the uh, yeah. So so Steffi does show up. Um, God, I wish I had uh, highlighted the um, the 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 area like when she first sees her back um, in the garden again. Because by then it's it is spring, and uh, you know at, at that point. Because of the way that um, Rickert sort of has you in very, very close to, to Chloe's sort of state of mind, you, you're you not really sure of how much time has really passed because it, it, it feels very much dreamy and, and just unending, right? And then finally we get the, that reprieve where 
you know, she's looking out the window of her kitchen and she sees uh, a girl there. Shit, where? God damn it. Where is it? <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's close. It's close to where I. I... In any case, it, it's something along the lines of. Um, hold up. Okay. Okay. I sit at the kitchen table and stare out the window until gradually I realize I'm looking at spring. Green grass, leaves, tulip and daffodil blooms thrust through the wreck of the garden. Spring. I open windows and doors. Birds twitter in the branches. Squirrels scurry across the lawn. Almost a year since we lost her. Gone. My little darling. Then I see one. Sim was. I'm sorry. Then I see someone. Is it? No. In the garden. Picking daffodils, her long, dark hair tied with a weedy-looking thing, wearing the dress she had on last year, tattered and torn, my daughter, my ghost. I mean, it, she's picking flowers basically in the same way that she was picking flowers the last time she saw her before she got into the car. If that's not a knife through your heart, that's, I, I don't know what to say, man. Yeah, I, that, uh, and then when she, then the, the daughter comes back and she's just, like, it, it breaks your heart because instead of having this really, like, heartwarming reunion, like, the daughter is, like, kind of feral and just, like, not, and, I mm -hmm. mean, and what do you expect? Like, she was murdered. Of, of course, she's not going to come back and be, like, a sweet little angel, but it's, it just breaks your heart because, you know that's probably not how Chloe would really want to to be revisited by her, but it, it's what she gets. Yeah, exactly. I think I, I, think I also read it, okay. you know, in a a way as kind of like a, a metaphor for the um, the mother daughter relationship when, mm -hmm. as your daughter becomes a teenager, because like you said, Maddie, she she is a lot more uh, sullen and. Um, <laughs> You know, just a, a, a little touchy. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was getting some, some well, she, teen she, vibes. She also goes back and forth because she she uses her little girl voice, and then like when when she tries to like touch her, she's like, "No, don't touch me. You don't get to touch me," or something to that effect, right? Yeah, um, yeah, uh, you know, like there's there's a conversation where she's like, uh, Chloe goes, you know, just stay, don't go back. She stands up. It doesn't work like that. We could, no, don't act like you know anything about it. You don't. And that's like just so flatly, uh, and, and to your point, uh, Stephen, I, I, that's also like I was reading it on that level as well. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, she's dead. So she, she's obviously like she's been disconnected from humanity, you know, to a certain extent um, for, you know, for an, an, enough time that she's, you know, like Maddie said, feral right but also i i also read it as you know this this type of conversation could have happened if she had lived you know give it give it some time and that that's oh, the conversation yeah. they would have had yeah it's it's not like pet cemetery but it's it's not easy either mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i think that was like honestly like that was a good choice because as i was first 
reading like this portions of the story of like, oh, are we going to get some, are, are, and I pet cemetery actually was what I thought. Or like, are we going to get some pet cemetery shit? Cause since the whole story is so dark, you're almost waiting for it to take an even darker turn. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad it didn't because I don't think that would have hurt as badly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Right. Well, I mean, and, and so like she, she like that first night she sits and, and makes her like, uh, like spaghetti enough spaghetti for six people. Um, and she's like, you know, just slurping it up. And I, I love this, this little uh, section here where she's, here's my dead daughter, cold and unkind and difficult and so different from the girl she used to be that only now do I finally accept that Stephanie is gone forever. Even as she sits before me, slurping spaghetti, the red sauce blooding her lips. Like, I mean, I, I, the imagery there is also like somewhat ominous, but also, you know, like it, it is more or less like the fate of a parent, right? Once again, we're, we're, it makes me think of like poor Jack trying to explain that, you know, like we all take risks, you know, when we send our children out into the world. Uh, and, and that's more or less like if they survive, they, they still, will come, you know, they, they'll change enough that uh, they'll think that they're Everyone different. Everyone goes the through a sullen teenage phase. It's, it's almost inevitable. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think it's, it's also like, uh, just simply that, you know, that when you're growing up, you think you're, 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 you're different than your parents. So, you know, they don't know anything. <laughs> what do they know? And, you know, and because you're you're a teenager and your your brain's not fully developed yet, you, you don't understand that. Yeah, your parents went through this too. It's it's fine. You, you're you're probably closer to them than you think. Give it a couple of years, you'll find out. No, definitely. Unless your parents just like really suck, and you don't, or vice versa. Like you probably got more in common than you think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and you'll I come mean, around and realize it. Like I, I, you know, I'm, I'm 31 now and I'm like, oh, almost everything I thought my mom was wrong about. She's right about <laughs> not everything, but almost everything. <laughs> I, I, there, there's a, there's a quote that I, I've always heard attributed to, to Mark Twain, where it's like, you know, when, when I left my home at 18, my, my father, you know, didn't know anything about anything. You know, and when I came back after, you know, being out in the world at 21 to visit him, I realized how much he'd, he'd learned in that short time. um but yeah like like um there's also like god there's so many good good lines here you know the the dead are jealous 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 and they will do anything to keep you from the living the lucky living they will argue with you and distract you and if that doesn't work they'll even let you hug them and dance for you and kiss you and laugh anything to keep you the dead are selfish jealous lonely desperate hungry i mean it's like basically to to a certain extent i i think chloe's letting herself be you know letting steph take up all her time as well it's not it's not like she's doing this against her will but it it does really sort of put you in this frame of mind where you realize oh wow like she's She's taking up every second, like Steph is taking up every second of Chloe's time. And like from one day to the next, she, she rolls over and, and realizes that it's, it's the last, basically the last blush of summer is gone. And, 
Yeah. Steph, Steph's gone. She's returned. Uh, and God, it, it's, it's just so God. It's so heartrending because you know, like it's just like that, like a switch. I think she the calls other, her. Yeah. Yeah, Go she does. She calls and that's it. The other thing that I, I really liked about, about, about kind of this section of it, because it is, for the most part, like most of the storylines is pretty grounded. And then, you know, you get the unseasonable weather, which, yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, it's like a nice nod to the the mythology, but it's not necessarily like totally like fantastical. Then you have Maggie, like the weird phone calls and Maggie and you think, oh, that's explaining it. And then she does come back. But like Rickert resists the like she doesn't explain it she doesn't you know give you like a oh no this is for sure a ghost or an oh no the narrator is losing her mind and i liked that she didn't do that um not because so i have uh i feel like ambiguity with supernatural stuff can go one of two ways there's uh the one way where it um it matters but you leave it ambiguous because you won't don't want to commit to one, and that sucks. Then then there's this way where it's ambiguous, but it doesn't matter. It it doesn't matter either way. Um, you can read it whichever way, and it still works. And I tend to actually prefer. I mean, not not. And I'm not saying actually like it's surprising. I much prefer like it is ambiguous as to whether this is actually supernatural or not. But it doesn't actually matter because what how the characters react and interact with it is what matters. Yeah. I think that that that's exactly, uh, exactly it. Um, when Steph comes back, it's not like, you know, like it, 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 you don't, you're not invited to read her dialogue, like in spooky ghost voice. She's just like a shitty teenager, you know, suddenly she's acting like, yeah, a, suddenly shitty she's like a shitty tween. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and so th- it helps you buy into like whatever's happening uh, is, is the way I see it uh, because she's acting like, you know, like in that indeed, like a shitty tween, like you said. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and when, when Steph leaves, uh, she realizes that uh, the throw, the blue throw that uh, she had, uh, given Steph to sleep on on the couch, um, sort of still smells like her. Like it, it, the smell of Stephanie lingers, but it also smells a little sour. Um, and it reminds her, uh, oh, you know, well, Maggie smelled like that too. Well, and, I mean, that's just teenager stink too. Yeah, honestly. yeah, yeah. Exactly. No, no. <laughs> like, I know, I know, but but I teenager smell. I know. I, I I was one once, and I I, I was so embarrassed by it too. <laughs> I mean, uh, but, but there's, there's that moment of realization where she sort of, she really, it's like, she's coming up out of the depths into air again. Um, and she says, uh, how many chances do we get with love? How many times do we wreck it before it's gone? I don't even drink the tea, but dress in a rush. All my clothes are too big on me, and I see in the mirror how tired I look, how much new gray is in my hair, yet there's something else, a sort of glow, a happiness. I miss her, 
the one who died. And her ghost is my responsibility, a relationship based on who we lost. While Maggie is a friend, a relationship based on what we found. And, you know, that, that turn just leads her back to Maggie and be like, you know, sort of contritely asking, you know, like saying like, Hey, I know what I did was shitty. Can we be, can, can you forgive me? Can we be friends again? And I, I, I loved how Frank that conversation is because, you know, Maggie's like, yeah, you know, I can't replace her, you know? And, and Chloe's like, yeah, no, I know. Yeah, uh, that was actually the the friendship between Chloe and Maggie. I actually really appreciated it um, because you don't see in in a lot of stories that are centered around women, you don't see interracial, not interracial, I'm sorry, intergenerational. That's what I meant. Mm. <laughs> intergenerational friendships or relationships between female characters who aren't blood relatives very often. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked that they had this because like, when I was like a teenager, I had older women who I was friendly with, teachers, um, neighbors, that kind of thing. And like as I'm an adult, I have younger teenagers who I'm I'm like friendly with because, you know, they, they come to my workplace or I just see them here and there. And I just think that's like such a part of life that just doesn't go acknowledged very often in in stories with with women. And even women are guilty of doing this. And I'm like, can we not relegate every female character, like all of her meaningful relationships to be her, like her family. Like we have friends, especially when there's like a generational gap. Well, I mean, I, 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 I I don't disagree. Uh, I also think that it's, it's very easy to use the shorthand of family because family, they're family members, they care for each other. Right. And, and it's sort of like almost, the idea of family is what's important there and not the idea of like talking to each other and being friendly with each other. And Yeah. And um, I also liked it too. Cause it, you know, for a story that also like deals with not, you know, in, in great detail, cause it's not what it's about, what it's about the like predation uh, of older people on younger people. It also acknowledges that, you know, like it's not always like that. You actually like can have a meaningful bond with someone who is not in your same, you know, kind of like age cohort mm-hmm. uh, and who's also not your relative. And I like that a lot. Cause I, I don't know. It's just like, as I've, as I've gotten older and realized, and I'm like, I have, a lot of friends, men and women who are like significantly older and sometimes, you know, a little bit younger than me. And I'm like, that's like a, such a normal part, part of living. And it just doesn't really go examined very often in fiction. And it, um, especially, especially women, women's writing I've, I've found you, you'll see a little bit more with stuff with guys, but a lot of the times they will be like, you know, a, a mentor figure at work or like, military comrades or sometimes something mm-hmm. it's it's usually not like you know my old neighbor or something i don't know it's just like a, i guess it's kind of a tangent but it was something that really struck me about the story and i really liked it um i thought it added a lot to the characters uh well I, and i think that that you know like i i was i was talking a little uh, or, you know before before that uh i was mentioning that that families used as a shorthand but but what it is it's it's also like you know not to be uncharitable but but also 
you don't have to do all this work of establishing how this friendship works, right? You don't have to write all that out. You don't have to sort of like plot it out or, or, or figure out how how why do going. they know each other even? Yeah, exactly. Something that, even something that logistically simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. I mean, and and here uh, I, I do think that Rickert really does take the time to sort of show how that friendship starts, how that friendship is you know sort of almost severed uh, and and slowly regained. Right, uh, I. Uh, to a certain degree, you know, Maggie also represents her reconnection with life. Uh, and, and I, I think that this story might fall apart if it were, if she weren't in it, right, Maggie? Because then it's just sort of sad Chloe hours all through. Yeah, it would, um, it, it would, it would lack a level. It, it would, it would lack a certain, uh, depth to it um maggie and uh her relationship with chloe really really adds something to the story Mm -hmm. yeah because i mean maggie oh go ahead no i agree and i'm glad that the story didn't like like because it could have very easily just let maggie be like kind of a plot device and not really made her in any way like a character in her own right um and i'm glad that that didn't happen because I think a lesser writer probably would have just kind of used her as like this spooky girl plot device. Well, and and I I think that Rickert is also very you know like using the symbolism of the garden again, right? Because she sees Steph in the garden, but when Maggie like actually returns, like with you know like when she has her conversation with Maggie about like you know can you ever forgive me? Can we be friends again? Uh, you know Maggie never tells her directly that, yeah, I'll be by or anything like that. She just sort of like needs time to think about it. Uh, and it's left up in the air. And so like when, when she reappears, uh, it's, you know, basically Chloe's in her garden. Um, you know, like I shovel last winter's ash into the garden. A flock of geese flies overhead. I shade my eyes to watch them pass, and when I look down again, she's standing there in baggy jeans and an old peacoat unbuttoned in the sun. It's as though I've been living in one of those glass domes and it's been shaking for a long time, but in this moment has stopped. And after all that flurry and unsettling, there's a kind of peace. Maggie. For a moment, we only look at each other. Then she puts her hand on her hip, rolls her eyes, and says... You wouldn't believe what we're ma- what they're making us do in gym, square dancing. And it's so great. I mean, it's it's on the one hand, like you said, Stephen, uh, it it's the level of like, well, she's seeing Maggie in the garden, just like she saw Steph, uh, and even though she's not supposed, she's not a replacement. It, it is funny that. This is the, you know, this is where Rickert decides to place them both. Right. Uh, but I like that. In, I, I do like how it, she kind of breaks that tension immediately by mm-hmm. just like having Maggie talking about like some mundane, stupid thing they're doing in gym class. So it, it kind of like it, it builds this beautiful illusion and like a connection between the two. And then it just like immediately shatters. And it's like, no, these aren't the same people. This isn't yep. a replacement. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Exactly right. 
like she she's she wants to talk to to her about the hot goss about the square dancing. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> um, uh, uh, Maddie, but, um, you had asked me uh, before we started recording if I had ever, you know, if this was the first time I had read it or if I had read it before. Uh, before I became a dad, and uh, I, I did read it uh, years and years and years ago. Uh, I think I think I probably read it like twice uh, when when I was younger. And uh, you know, was it different this time? And uh, I I can tell you that uh, <laughs> yes, it was uh, it was different reading this story, uh, being a father uh, than than it was when when I wasn't. Um, the the first time I read it, I was you know I was just uh, when did I first read this? Oh, I guess probably like seven years ago, uh, and you know I was just blown away by I guess by the by the artistry of it, you know just how true it felt and uh, and and how much it it was able to make me feel. Uh, so you know I you, I viewed it much more of, as like a a beautiful piece of artwork. Uh, this time around, when I when I read it uh, last night in preparation for the show, uh, I kind of felt like I wanted to be sick. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it is. Uh, it's a it's a tough read. Um, just still very yeah. true, and yeah, probably was... also why I don't think I'll ever read uh, that Nathan Ballingrid story, "The Monsters of Heaven," ever again, because <laughs> oh. I also read that before I became a uh, dad and uh, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't need to read that one again. Oh no, that, uh, I mean, even as like, I don't have children and I would not consider myself an especially maternal figure. And even still like both of these stories, like but both this story and monsters of heaven, I was like, Oh, I feel so bad right now. This is not a good, I'm not having a good time. I can't imagine if I actually did have kids. Mm. Yeah, it was a bad time, but a but a great bad time because it's, yeah, it's it's like, such a great story. What a beautiful bad time it was. Um, honestly, like yeah, I I think that that's uh, that's more or less. Uh, I, I am not a parent either, but uh, I, I will say that like I I put this down earlier today after rereading it, and it was like, fuck, okay, I gotta go do something fun. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think I think this this story too, because you kind of mentioned you mentioned the artistry of it, Stephen. I, I think so much of that, like, it's just another like little little data point in my in my theory that uh, the most horrifying things also have to be beautiful because if it's not beautiful, it's not actually as horrifying as if it also is. Like, you have to have the juxtaposition to really get. To, like for me at least I everyone has different sensibilities but for me I'm like if something isn't at least a little bit beautiful I can't engage in the horror of it either mm-hmm. hmm. yeah yeah um so anyway uh I think that we've gotten to the end of the story uh I I don't know that I uh, do we have any last thoughts any um uh, just that for uh, for all that uh, you know, it 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 is a a difficult read in 
in a, in, in, you know, the most, in a, in a, in a beautiful way. It, it does, uh, it does end on a, uh, on, on a hopeful note. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's again, quite a, quite a beautiful passage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, honestly, it's like one of these things where, it, you know, she's reached what is it uh the i know that they're they're considered bogus now but uh what is the 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 seventh level of of grieving or whatever acceptance uh uh but yeah like like i think that that uh that last sort of little uh section which happens more or less right after she uh you know sees maggie in the garden is just so powerful uh, in part because it is, yeah, like 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 you said, it's it ends on this hopeful note, but it's ending on a hopeful note after all of this has happened. And uh, I think your to your earlier point, Maddie, that that honestly is what uh, is sort of almost yeah you know, what what wrecks <laughs> what wrecks a a reader like me because it's like, yeah yeah I I kind of compare it to so. I don't know if either of you ever have this experience, but this is one that's very, very common for me. I can be like having a kind of bad time, but if if, like bad keeps on happening, I'm just like, okay, eventually you get numb to it. But the second someone's like genuinely concerned is like, are you okay? And like Mm -hmm. shows you like a moment of care. That's when you start fucking bawling. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I can, I can see that. Like, like, because I, I, and, and to a certain degree, it's, it's, it sort of maps, um, somewhat similarly to, to how Chloe reacts, right? Where she's like in her own head, like just sort of almost punishing herself. Yeah, she's living, but she's not like alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. She's like in this half state. Uh, and it isn't until the very end that she st- sort of starts coming out of it. Um, and, and yeah, like I, I, I agree. That's something that's just so powerful. Uh, a, like on a structural level that, uh, you know, something that if, if the lows aren't low enough, it, it, it won't work. At least for me, it won't. Anyway, fun times. (laughs) Some light reading here for Podside Picnic. (laughs) Well, you know, we, we, we like bad times here too. All right. Well, um, Maddie, Stephen, thanks again for uh, for giving me an excuse to to reread this because um, I I believe that you you'd set it up at, near the top, but uh, Maddie has this story sort of uh, sort of giving you faith in in certain types of retellings. I'm just glad someone did a good one because I I really like like I like the original myth so much, but so and and every time I'm just like reading or retelling it it sucks and i don't know if maybe it's just because i'm getting older and i i used to be more into the the hades and persephone dynamic and i, I even liked the romance aspect of it that a lot of right not like a lot of interpretations of the myth would have not necessarily the retellings because they're usually bad but like just the interpretations of the myth mm-hmm. but like as i've gotten older even though i'm not a parent and am not planning on it uh i i i find the demeter side more compelling Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. And, it's, and it's, now it's I, I have sure. a. I actually have a. I think Stephen, you may have read it. I had a a Persephone and Hades story that I wrote in 
grad school and I'm just like, I'm just going to gut it. I'm going to gut all the myth stuff from it. I've been put to shame and I have nothing to say about the myth. I'm going to let it stand on its own two feet after reading this. <laughs> yeah, you, you showed me that one, Maddie. Yeah, and you had good comments about it. it it's, it's not as good as it could be and the myth doesn't add anything to it. <laughs> Well, you, you know, Maddie, I don't know how many more of um, Rickard's stories are in uh, her collection. You've never been here, but uh, her her first collection, uh, Map of Dreams, collects, I think, pretty much everything she wrote up until about um, 2006 or so when, when, when this was published. And uh, Rickard wrote, uh, I, don't, I don't know how many exactly, but she did write a bunch of uh, stories that are that are Greek myth retellings. Uh, so, you know, if if you like this, there, there are more out there. Uh, I read one of them. Uh, it's just called Leta and, you know, or, or Leta, Leta, I don't know how to say it. But, you know, it's it's a take on the, um, you know, Zeus knocking someone up in the form of a swan and uh that one is also uh very good. I mean all, really all of all of her stories are 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 great. I feel like we spent half of the show just saying over and over again how great the story is, how great the prose is, how great of a writer Mary Rickard is and it's it's true, you know, if anybody who hasn't read Mary Rickard who who loves great prose and great stories you know you just you just got to track down her stuff uh her her story collections are 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 amazing yeah so so um you said uh the previous collection was called map of dreams the the most recent one which came out of a small beer press uh i think it uh what was it it has like uh i want to say like 12 or 11 stories in it um and and a couple that are more recent, uh, I think, like uh, the the mothers of Voorheesville and so on, but um, yeah, and that is uh, you have never been here. Um, That's the one that I have, and I'm I'm looking forward to reading some of the other stories in here. Yeah, I, I'm I'm terrible at uh, reading collections, you know, like cover to cover, but uh, I do want to make a <laughs> I do want to make an effort for this one because honestly, this. This story, uh, if if there's more that that are like these, uh, like this one, and I believe also, um, Stephen, uh, you've never been here. Also includes uh, the one that you'd uh, linked to us. Uh, what is it? The the journey oh, into journey the into the kingdom. Yeah, that yes, it does. Uh, that might that might be her best one. Uh, I go back and forth between uh, between journey into the kingdom and the chambered fruit. Uh, that's a great story. Although I think I need to revisit um, Cold Fires, which I'm pretty sure is in uh, You've Never Been Here. Yes. Yes, it is. Yes. Um, I, I don't remember. Uh, I actually don't remember that one. But in um, in some of the reading uh, that I was doing for uh, for for this episode, it, it was mentioned uh in several places as, as being really fantastic. Um, and it's a good example of something that, uh, Rickert does in a lot of her stories in, including in journey into the kingdom. Um, I'm talking about cold fires right now, um, where, uh, Rickert likes to, um, tell stories within stories, you know, have her, Oh, sign me up. I love that shit. <laughs> oh, well then you should read, well, you should reread journey into the kingdom then. And, and you should read cold fires. Cause apparently, uh, she does, she does that, in that story and uh does it to uh to great effect uh 
God, she's just so good. She should be better known. It's not fair. Oh, some of the some of the best ones are are not as well known as they ought to be. It's a uh, every time I read a collection like this or uh, like by an author that like I feel like I'm the only person who ever talks about. I'm like, why am I the only person ever talking about them? <laughs> it's tragic. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, uh, Maddie, there's two two very simple answers. One is lots of people don't read a lot. <laughs> <laughs> And the second one is <laughs> a lot of people that do have bad taste that, well, I wasn't going to come out right, right out and say it, but now that you say it, I'm not going to disagree. Um, I mean, uh, so yeah, I, I think that, um, to everyone out there listening, you know, track down map of dreams and, or, you know, the, the, uh, you've never been here is, is available. Um, anywhere you can buy books now. Now, um, so uh, Maddie, Stephen, again, thanks again for reading this with me. Uh, and I suppose we should probably sign off and tell everyone out there, thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time here on Podside.